Hey everyone, welcome to City Church OTR's Sermons Podcast. Here you will find all of the sermons and teachings that are given at our Sunday services. We also have our original City Church OTR podcast, which has more conversations, interviews, and more interactive content. As always, we would love to meet you. Check out our Instagram to see what we're doing this week and our website, citychurchotr.com, to meet one of our pastors. Enjoy. So I was going to tell a funny story. Can you just give me a sympathetic laugh? (laughs) Um, It was hilarious. Wow, that was great. And um, I am closing out our series this week on Philippians. And so we've been talking about being open-handed. If you've been here, so we're going Philippians 1, Philippians 2, 3, 4. And uh, and it'd be good if you have a paper Bible, which is like no one anymore. Uh, But they still exist, guys. They still exist. Uh, Or your phone, because we're going to be going like, verse by verse through um, most of that chapter. And, and here's the recap if you haven't been here. So we named it open-handed for a number of reasons. One, because one of the themes in Philippians is joy. And so in order to have joy, we have to be open-handed with our emotions. We have to be open-handed into what's going on around us because then we can choose something different. So where the world says, no, you can grip on to like discouragement or anger, Philippians, Jesus would say, no, you can actually be open-handed. Um, the other theme throughout this is unity. We hit a bunch on that. And, uh, and unity, and let's remember this, especially in the next three weeks, unity is us doing this with our preferences. So we might have preferences, and the world says you can totally hang on to those, but Philippians, Paul, Jesus would tell us, no, 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 we're actually part of a bigger kingdom. It's not one or the other. And, uh, and the other really big theme throughout Philippians is your mind. And, and I'm glad that we got to pray through that because that's exactly where we're going to go today. Philippians 4 has so much to say. Um, Philippians specifically, more than any of Paul's other letters, has a lot to say about the mind or your thought life. And your thought life means doing this to like your circumstances or doing this to your, mind, uh, your thoughts and saying, I'd rather have the thoughts of God, I'd rather invite the, invite the thoughts of Jesus in than gripping on to what the world or what the enemy would tell me that I'm supposed to grip on to. So that's where we're going. Uh, We're going to go Philippians 4, and we're just going to go like verse by verse. We're going to get through most of the chapter. So I apologize in advance for so much Bible. I'm so sorry that we're about to read so much of the Bible. But we're going to go through. We're going to read like chunks, and then I'm going to talk about it. And, And so I would go to Philippians 4, 1 through 3. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. I plead with Yodia and I plead with Sinche to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, my true companion, help these women since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers whose names are written in the book of life. And, and so we're going to have like maybe just a series of kind of short rants uh, this morning because Paul didn't write Philippians 4 knowing I'd be preaching a message on it. He kind of starts to summarize different thoughts he's had throughout the letter. Um, and this first one... He's addressing two women uh, leaders that are fighting. So does anybody know why they were in an argument? You shouldn't, because it doesn't say. Um, my best guess is they probably served in the choir together, but we don't really know. It's not possible to know. But he's addressing these two women that have some kind of argument, some kind of like contention. And here's um, maybe a little chance to talk about us, because that's really rare. Remember, we're like 21st century America, so... This doesn't seem rare for Paul to address two women leaders in the church, but this is like male-driven Greek and Jewish society. And 16 different times, 
16 different times Paul addresses leaders in the church that were women. Now that's like no big deal to us because like, of course, it's 2020. That's just reasonable. But back then, this would have been incredibly man, forward thinking, and it was the way that it seems like Jesus and Paul were taking the church. And so I thought, you know what, we're still getting to know each other. Um, I've only been going to this church for like six weeks, so I'm still trying to feel it out too. I get it. Uh, But we took a lot of time to write uh, a belief statement, a doctrinal statement. I know half of you just yawned at that word, but uh, and we broke it out into essentials, which I would say almost any evangelical church like would say is true. So Jesus, the Bible, sin. And then we broke it out into convictions. And I thought, you know what, this is a good opportunity to read one of our convictions that we have around women in ministry. And the rant hasn't come yet, but around women in ministry, because that, if you've been around the church, is like a big hot button issue. So I'm going to read just from that little statement. In light of our reading of scripture, we affirm that there are no gender-based distinctions in the distribution of spiritual gifts. So a lot of big words, I'll pause. Um, that is basically saying uh, specifically to the item of teaching, that spiritual gift, men and women can do it. So I know gender-based, I mean, I want to focus there. It's on the gifting of teaching or any other spiritual gift, that um, there's no gender-based distinction on the distribution of spiritual gifts, that women were the first witnesses of Jesus' resurrection, and that women can serve as pastoral leaders in the local church. Okay, so there's a statement. It doesn't address everything. It just addresses, I think, what I would say our posture is towards this topic. And, and the reason this is important is because, man, we feel like this is actually what we're reading the Bible and what it is addressing. And, and not any woman can be a pastor, nor can any man be a pastor. Like, I went through a rigorous ordination process back in Vegas, and I wouldn't rob anybody of that. Uh, you need to go through it. But as we're looking at qualifications, if the time would come for somebody else, the one distinction we wouldn't make is on men or women because of what we see in Scripture. So um, are you ready for the actual rant now? <laughs> that wasn't even it. Okay, you might not like it. Um, so many churches would disagree with this statement. And as the young, cool, urban church that we are, I'm sure like we're ready to applaud me for that. And I'm tempted to let you. But here's what I want to ask real quick. If that statement makes your heart sing, tell me, don't actually tell me. But I want you to think about why. Why does that make you excited? Is it because, like, it's 2020 and it's just reasonable? Or is it because it's biblical? Yikes. Is it because it's reasonable or is it because it's biblical? And here is maybe the prophetic statement before we get into more of, like, the Philippian letter. Here's the prophetic statement I would say again, just one voice, of what I'm seeing right now is there are lots of people, um, lots of Christians that would be making statements like spiritual stances based on what's reasonable and not what's biblical. So I think it's reasonable that, and it's very obvious, that Catherine should like be able to come up here and teach the Bible. That is totally reasonable because she's like really good at it. And I trust her more than I trust most of you men. So it's reasonable that she should be able to do that. But If she ever wanted to, and I don't know if she will, I think she could come up here and she could do it because it's biblical. Because we've studied the context of Romans 16 and 1 Corinthians and 1 Timothy 2, and actually there's a conviction of this church, or at least its leadership, and you can disagree, but there's a conviction biblically that like that's where we would stand. Now, let's zoom out from like the the women aspect for a second, because that's not what most people would say, or that's not what most churches would say, but I 
just want to say, hey, I still respect them. I still respect people that would disagree with that statement based on certain like verses because they're holding fast to something that they don't think, even though it's reasonable, might not be biblical to them. And here's why this is important. So relevance to the whole rant is let's take out the like women in ministry, although now you know at least where we stand there, is because this time, especially in like most of our generation or the generation younger than me, the, the spirit of the age is this thing called spiritual humanism. Okay, and I promise I'm going somewhere. But it's this idea that like, well, it's just reasonable. It's sort of like, of course that would make sense. It's just reasonable. I don't think the enemy, like he tried this like whole atheism thing in our culture and that just didn't catch on because it's just, I mean, it's not possible. Like we've all experienced something that's like not explained by natural elements. But if he can get us to say, well, you know, did God really say, which sounds familiar, or did God, do you think God really means that we're supposed to or do you think that God really intends for us to actually like read that book? And if he can get us to start to ask those questions, then man, he's got us. And so here's the like big thought that I just want to leave us with. Uh, and this is like a spiritual statement. This has nothing to do with the political climate. But as we're forming beliefs or as you're maybe exploring the Bible for the first time or reading a, a church's website, like I would be asking not, as what, not what's reasonable, but what actually lines up with Scripture. And this is a big deal because here's like the punchline is that God's not always reasonable. God is not always reasonable. Do you know what's not reasonable? That like the God of the universe would record his thoughts in a book and that would actually be preserved over time. That's just like, that's not really reasonable. It's not reasonable that minds and bodies can like in an instant be healed by the love of God, like actually in a moment. That's not reasonable. It's not reasonable that no matter what you've done, like no matter what you've done, you can be loved and forgiven by a holy God. That is so unreasonable. It's not reasonable that a king would like leave his throne and come and die for people that have rebelled against him. Aren't you a little glad God's not reasonable? Aren't we a little bit glad that God doesn't fit into the morality of like our 2020 box? that he has established it long before that. All right, I'm going to go home. <laughs> Let's go to four through seven. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Um, if I had it my way, I would have skipped this passage and 8 and 9, mostly because it's not reasonable. Like, there's no way that we can't actually be anxious. Um, that just doesn't seem possible. And it's easy for Paul to write this because his church didn't have social media, so uh, they had it way easier. Somebody should tweet that. And he says things like, don't be anxious about anything. Like, that seems crazy, especially when there is a very real world, like right now, where mental illness and mental disorder is, like, very real. Like, that's, that's the tension we have to hold with, like, don't be anxious about anything. But also, we're not, like, anti-science or anti-truth. Like, mental illness is, like, a real deal, right? And, and so God is asking us to hold in tension. Um, there's this great guy named John Wimber. He started the vineyard movement and uh, and when asked about because he prayed for people all the time and they got healed 
And they're like, so should we just stop going to hospitals or seeing doctors? And he said, no, we pray for healing and you take a pill. And so just like almost anything else in this church, we want to hold this intention by saying, look, don't be anxious about anything. But also that can be kind of shameful, especially if there's like medical realities in our life. And, and so I want to first say, before we even dig into what that means, if the peace of God doesn't describe you, that's okay. Like, it's okay. You're not a lost cause. You're not unspiritual. That's okay. Because if the enemy could do anything with this verse, it could be, you don't have the peace of God. You must not really be following him. But we have to hold that in the whole of everything else that Paul said. And in Romans, he said, uh, therefore, there's now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. And so this verse should move us into prayer, not into shame. Uh, because the, that's a very real reality in a lot of our lives that we deal with. And I, um, obviously, Catherine shared just now, a long, long, long time ago, I had like anxiety and really big discouragement. And I had to like go to Montana um, to be with a mentor because I just was so discouraged. That was eight weeks ago. <laughs> so like I feel so unqualified to talk about this. One, not a doctor. Two, like this is the reality in so many of our lives. But here is what I can say is true because it was true in my experience and it's true based on this uh, piece of scripture. But I, did, I started to do Philippians 4 through 7 and I had all of these concerns and all these discouraging like thoughts and I went to a lake, turned my phone off and I just started to deal with them one by one which I think is important because he says in every situation. So don't take the big ball, like call them out one by one. And I started to just tell God, I'm sad. Like I'm sad about this pandemic. Like this is really a bummer. God, I feel like I don't always fit in in this new community. I'm not getting along with so-and-so and we're planting this church and we've planned it for 12 years and we don't have a place to meet. I miss my friends that are in Vegas. And I started just one by one by one, lay those things out. And I can tell you, just like what Catherine had on Thursday, something changed. Now, my friends were still in Vegas. I didn't come away and the pandemic was over. Uh, we still had no place to meet at that time. Uh, but something shifted in my heart, and I knew God had heard me. And uh, Psalm 34, 15 says, The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their cry. And so Paul is writing this, and he's writing this not from like a great spot, right? He didn't just have like his ministry blow up or his church hit 2000 or his Tesla stock hit 2000. Like none of those things were happening. He's in jail. He's in jail and he's writing this. And so if Paul can write this from jail, then we can at least attempt it in whatever we're going through. Anxious thoughts, anxiety, depression. There's no shame in that, but we can start to say, God, I'm sad about this. And that's not shameful. It's not unspiritual. God, I'm really discouraged that this is going on. And then he says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received from me or seen in me, put into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. And so one, I think Paul, through these four through nine, he's saying, uh, and this is in your notes, prayer is still relevant. So prayer is very much still relevant. And joy is still possible. Prayer is still relevant. Joy is still possible. And in 8 and 9, he says like some active words, right? He says the word think and the word practice. And so the peace of God is promised. That's a promise to us. But it's not something we just passively go after. But it's something that we have to actively think, 
upon and practice. And uh, I was reading a couple commentaries. There's better words for the word think. <laughs> one of them, like everyone agreed on this, one of the words that better is translated is reckon. So you should reckon on these things. Uh, for the non-rednecks among us, I would say the other word I, I found was meditate. So meditate on these things. And Paul starts to narrow the list of here's what would be helpful to like think upon or reckon upon or meditate on. Um, and so there's something that happens in our mind when we start to really zone in and we start to settle our mind on the things of God. And he says that, that's going to bring not only the peace of God, but the God of peace. Um, I got a message on Facebook this week from like a guy I knew four years ago, and uh, he had come to the church that I was at in Vegas. Um, he had come just with his neighbors. His neighbors were like members there. And uh, he had come one week, and I'd finished preaching, and we were like worshiping, and he came over for prayer. And I forget what he asked for prayer on, but I think it was like he couldn't sleep. And, uh, and so he came over, and he's like, I'd love to, you know, I'm basically like dealing with insomnia. And I started to pray. God's real, guys. I started to pray. And I felt like the Lord said, he has voices and they need to leave. And I was like, I have voices. <laughs> I don't know what's going on. And so I was like, okay, um, yeah, Justin, I just feel like, man, this is crazy. I feel like the Lord said you have voices and he wants to make them go. But maybe it's me. Maybe it's my voices. I don't know. And I start totally hedging my bet. And I'm like, the jaw hit the ground because he's like, I've had voices for 10 years. He's like, I haven't heard myself think in the last 10 years. <laughs> I was like, holy spirit. Um, <laughs> so I was like, I, I started to pray, and I was like, God, like, or I told him, I was like, God's going to make these voices go away. Like, that's going to happen right now. I don't know who I became in that moment, but I'm like, demon expeller. And I was like, the voices are going to leave, um, but bro, if you want them to, like, stay gone, like, it's an ongoing, lasting, like, submission to Jesus. And, uh, and so I prayed like a really simple prayer and jaw got lower. He's like, I, I don't have any voices. He said, my mind hasn't been this quiet in 10 years. He's like, it's been 10. And he starts like freaking out. And of course he like gives his life to Jesus because like something supernatural had just happened in his mind where God of peace, the God of peace came in and started to quiet the things that were not of him. And this guy messaged me. He messaged me you know, it's four years later, because he moved to Florida, and he wanted to know if I knew any churches there. But he said, also, Chris, it's been four years, and I still have no voices. Come on. Is anybody excited about that? I know it's like an acoustically silent room, but we are allowed to respond. Um, I do welcome that. Uh, that is amazing. It's amazing that God actually still breaks in in supernatural ways. It's amazing that God cares enough about him to tell me something, to tell him something so that he could see a miracle. And so we, I know, uh, you know, next series, we're going to actually go in on this a little bit more. We're going to do a five-week series on the Holy Spirit. Um, and I hope after the last six weeks, if you've been around, you're picking up that we're thoughtful. Uh, we really want to be thoughtful. We really want to, like, be a church with two front doors. Like, you've probably heard us say, hey, it's not just about Sunday morning. We really want to be a church that's authentic. But another big value, and it's why we're going into this, is we actually believe like God is on the move. Right. We actually believe that like God can break into the natural, and he desires to do that, and he can see, uh, or, and we can see miracles. And so for the next five weeks, we're going to be talking about things like um, how to hear God's voice, 
Uh, the fruit of the Spirit, which is huge because we don't want to just see miracles. We want to start to look like Jesus too. Uh, but we are going to talk about the gifts of the Spirit. So we're just trying to hit every hot button issue all in like three weeks. And, uh, and it's going to be amazing because, guys, God is real. And we don't want to just be a church that's thoughtful or that's authentic, although those are like core pursuits. But we want to be a church that regularly sees miracles or that regularly hears from God. We want to be a church that's actively in pursuit of him. Um, I'm going to just now read verses 10 through 13. We're going to actually end there. So 14 through 23 is your homework. Um, you should read that this afternoon. It's basically a summary of Paul saying, hey, thanks for giving me money. So this whole letter, fun fact, is a support letter that Paul is writing back to say, thank you for your generosity. So if there was no generosity, there would be no letter to the Philippians. Um, but we're just going to end on 10 through 13, because I know you're dying to hear Philippians 4:13, and, uh, and we're going to wrap up there. So midway through 11, Paul says, I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do this through him who gives me strength. And... Uh, Let's see if I can get you to not like Philippians 13, 4.13 as much as you did. Because if we were really going to take this thing in context, you've got to put that whole chunk on your t-shirt. Or you've got to put that whole chunk on like the painting above your mantle. Um, because Paul isn't talking about like we can now lift buildings or we can do all of like anything that we would ever want to do. He's specifically talking about this idea of contentness. And Philippians 4.13 is like all over the place. Um, it's famous because, one, it's in the Bible. Two, and I might be dating myself, anybody older than me, do you remember Evander Holyfield? Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Bed. <laughs> yeah, uh, 1996, like really good boxer, and he made this verse more famous than what it was because he wore it on his robe, and he was pretty good, but he fought a guy, huge underdog. He fought a guy named Mike Tyson in 96 and, uh, and won, and like, all the Christians went crazy. Like, all the Christians went crazy. It's like, he won this fight because it's Philippians 4.13. Ne next year, 1997, he fights him again and gets his ear bit off. So, like, you win some and you lose some on that. So, this verse isn't about winning fights. It's not about Evander Holyfield. I actually, literally on Thursday, I don't have time, but I should tell it. Literally on Thursday, I'm walking up my stairs, like, back from the gym to my house, and I pass an older lady who has a shirt on, that says, COVID-19, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. <laughs> not what the verse is about. Not. And I said, woman, you've got to come to my church. That shirt's wrong. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I totally caved. And I was like, oh, I like your shirt. <laughs> so this whole thing is about contentness. So are we ready to, like, talk about that? Relevance, like, is in five minutes. But if we're going to talk about this contentness in this verse, we're going to have to do, like, five minutes of nerding out. So are we good? Okay, relevance is coming. Relevance is coming. Set your clock, five minutes. The, this word, contentness, in the Greek is austarkis, because we know the Bible, the New Testament was written in Greek, right? Not English. So in the Greek, this word is austarkis, and what it means, especially at this time, is independent of others and having sufficiency in oneself. So as this Greek city, because Philippi is in Greece, as this Greek city is reading it, in their native language, they would define that word as independent of others and having sufficiency in oneself. Here's why. For the 500 years before 62 AD, 
there were all of these big Greek philosophy heavy hitters arguing about how to become truly content. And these are like the the big dogs, like Socrates, Plato, Diogenes. All of them are weighing in and they're saying the goal of contentness is self-sufficiency. Every single one of them would have said that. What they were arguing about is how. What is the best way to become self-sufficient? Some of them said it's to have as much money as possible because then you need nothing. Like if you have as much money as possible, you'll be totally self-sufficient. Other of, uh, others of them said, no, it's, you've got to limit your needs. Like what are the fewest amount of needs that you need because then you need nothing and then you're self-sufficient. So they all agreed that like self-sufficiency is the goal of life. What they couldn't agree on is how. And so for 500 years, this is the setting in Greece. Like this was the hot button topic that all the really smart people were talking about is how do I become content? Then 500 years later, there was a Jewish rabbi who started to preach in Israel. It's Jesus. And, uh, and so he starts preaching in Israel and he starts to go to the countryside and he had lots of, I mean, he starts to really, really pick up a lot of fame and he has these sermons that in his day would have gone viral. And uh, specifically one, the most famous sermon ever, which is the Sermon on the Mount, preached by the most famous man ever, Jesus, this whole sermon blows up this idea with the very first sentence. So he starts off the Sermon on the Mount and he says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Another way of saying this is like, blessed are those who recognize their need. So one man in one sermon blows up the entire Greek philosophy that self-sufficiency is the key to contentness. And he says, no, no, no. Blessed are those who recognize their need. Blessed are those who recognize that they actually can't do it on their own. In one sentence, Jesus flips the world's wisdom upside down. And this is why, this is what he came to do. He came to institute the upside down kingdom. He came to institute something that was totally contrary to what everyone else was talking about at that time. And throughout the rest of his teaching, you can pick up themes of this. I know a couple weeks ago, Tyler read Matthew 11, where he basically says, look, don't just carry your burden on your own. Don't carry your yoke. Actually rely on me to carry it for you. And throughout the rest of his teaching, Jesus is promoting two big ideas. He's saying the kingdom of God has come, and here's what it looks like. Relying on God and being totally dependent on him and relying on others. It's those two things that Jesus starts to institute. And so it doesn't make a ton of sense when people tell me, like, my relationship with Jesus is just between me and him. Well, he would disagree with that. (laughs) So I'm not sure. But he starts to talk about, man, it's all about you and God, and how can you actually be dependent on others? Because humility isn't actually a bad thing. Humility was frowned upon in that time. But he says, no, no, humility and dependence, that's the new way forward. And so Paul, about 30 years after Jesus' resurrection, Paul's sharing the news of Jesus, and he writes to this Greek city, who would have all had the heroes of Diogenes and Socrates and Plato. All of them would have been thinking about that, and he says, no, no, no. You've got that all wrong. No, no, no. Contentness isn't about being self-sufficient. Like, dependence is actually quite okay. Humility is actually the way forward. And what he says in 13 is, Christ is the key that strengthens that. The only way to true contentness is through Jesus. And through utter, humble dependence on him. And so with one sermon, Jesus blows it up. And Paul, Philippians 4.13, isn't about lifting buildings or winning fights. It's actually about how do we have this supernatural ability to be content? Because sufficiency is now in what he has done, not in what you can do on your own. Sufficiency is utterly dependent on who Jesus is 
and what he's done because now we don't have to rely on ourselves. And so the better translation, in my humble opinion, of Philippians 4.13 is I can do, parentheses, any of the things just mentioned, like being content with much or content with little because I am interdependent on, parentheses, Christ who strengthens me. Isn't it crazy no like translation committees called me yet about that? That just flows right off the tongue. But Paul, through Jesus, is saying, this is God. This is God. This is what God came to institute, is an upside-down kingdom where actually peace comes from reliance, where contentness comes from dependence, and we live contrary to the way the world would say. And we have, um, on Mondays, we have staff meeting, and it's Jalen and Megan and Tyler and Mandy, and we're just starting to pray at the beginning of staff meeting, and this theme of peace comes up, which is now no accident. And we're praying for you guys. We pray for the church, and we're just going in on this idea of peace. And then, like, within 48 hours, I had four different people start to talk to me about anxiety or depression or some of these things that are coming and stealing our church's peace. And so the good news is it doesn't have to be that way. That's a very real reality. But the good news is Jesus actually comes to bring the keys to peace. And so the king of peace is here. Jesus is in the room. Like Jesus is actually in the room and he actually wants to bring supernatural peace. And so we're going to end with that thought. We're going to end with this idea of supernatural contentment. Um, And as always, we have the Lord's table right here. And uh, it's for anybody that would say that they're a follower of Jesus. Uh, We also have it in the back. And you can respond totally at your will. Uh, You can respond to Jesus however you want. We can kneel. You can stand. You can raise your hands. Um, We're going to have people praying actually behind those little uh, panels back there. Here's the one rule. Is if you came in with a burden, don't leave with that same thing. Don't leave here without getting prayer. Don't leave here without responding to God. Don't leave here without inviting the King of Peace into your heart because He's here, He's moving, and He wants to reign in your life. He's a God of momentum and not just moments. I was thinking about that this week that, like, this is, this is a 2,000 year old letter, and there's still momentum on Philippians 4.13 and the things that He's instituting in His people. So we're going to pray, but this is why we live open-handed. Because there's something bigger, there's something better, and there's something holy. So God, we welcome you here. Lord, we welcome you here. God, you reign above anxiety, you reign above depression. And so we just welcome you into those scenarios. God, we cast off shame. The shame of feeling unspiritual because we have anxiety. The shame of feeling unspiritual because depression is real. And we invite you, the King of Peace, into the room. Would you reign? Would you move? Jesus, it is all about you. Pray this in your name. Amen.